Welcome to the Midas Touch podcast, Ben and Jordy with you today, live for all the Midas Mighty watching on YouTube. And boy, have these YouTube numbers through the roof these days. And with you live in spirit for those downloading this on the podcast, the Jan 6th coverage by the Midas Media Network has really been next level. Special shout out to all the great panelists. Special shout out to our host, Tony Michaels um, and Gabe Sanchez for the great work that they've done in hosting one of the most watched streams. I was looking at the stream, Jordy, like we're beating most major media networks on the digital stream side of things. And I think it's because it's refreshing to watch the pre-hearing coverage of this panel that we put together that really kind of represents real Americans, not these talking head, mm-hmm. you know, BS kind of ping pong, as I like to call it, politics, where they just kind of both sides, fascism and democracy. There are some good panelists out there in mainstream media, but that is definitely far and few. Yeah, but this is what happens when we build a platform that is unapologetically pro-democracy. People come because they, they like the no-nonsense. You can't have people on your panel that are going to be like, the insurrection was bad, but I think, no, no, it's that's a ridiculous way to look at it. And I think the numbers prove it. And if you are listening to this and you have not checked out one of our streams, you better subscribe to youtube.com slash Midas Touch. Look, we have cameras in the hearings. That's unheard of. At the end of the day, the media cares about the media business. They care about their ratings. But in caring about the business and the ratings, it almost is self-fulfilling defeat Because what they believe to try to both sides the issue, they are not delivering the truth to the people. They're not conveying what's at stake. And we saw this with the emergency hearing that took place this week and what's been going on these past few days following the emergency hearing uh, where Cassidy Hutchinson, who showed a great deal of courage and bravery, who stood there and sat there under oath answering all of the questions by the committee, you know, and testifying as you should under oath, not giving off the record or on background statements so that mainstream media reporters can go about doing your bidding in non under oath settings. But the mainstream media, basically, they they profit off of the disinfo, right? They just literally, and it's the same thing. It's like, you would think that they would learn their lesson after the rise of fascism with Trump and their amplification of it. But time and time again, we see them falling for it again, or perhaps they're not falling for it. Perhaps they just really like to promote fascism because for that, that sells. But we're doing things differently here at the Midas Media Network, which I think is what is connecting the majority of what I'm talking about. And I want to get your reaction to it, though, is right after these brave, uh, this courageous, a testimony by Cassidy Hutchinson, Super these tough. like Trump staffers who probably are oh Giuliani and Meadows or whoever it is, leaked to an NBC reporter, leaked to, you know, a Washington Post reporter, you know, that they don't think that Cassidy's testimony wasn't true or that. But these people aren't testifying under oath. And what do these papers do? They publish it. They publish the anonymous Trump sources. How about you just say to them that that is the point hang up the freaking phone. That is the point right there, Ben. You hit it on the head. You have Cassidy Hutchinson literally putting her life on the line to testify. She is under oath with the threat of potential perjury if she lies in prison. And then the media, the mainstream media is going to take people from Trump world literally just to get clicks on their tweets and their articles saying they refute Cassidy's uh, retelling and recounting of the story. Well, those people, Ben, the Giuliani's, the, the ridiculous people in the Trump world, they have been invited to testify under oath. And you know what they've said? They said, fifth, no, fifth, they said, fifth, yes, fifth, 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 no, fifth. no, because they know if they had to go up there under oath and tell the truth and not just plead the fifth, they'd be <laughs> they'd be subject to perjury and they'd get arrested. You know, media, you don't have to take that phone call. I want to break it down. <laughs> you, you could literally say, hey, no, I'm not going to do that. 
and not be a transmitter of the disinfo. So like true. you could be like, Hey, I'm sorry. No, it's probably that's, that's a, st- what we've learned through these hearings too. We've learned a lot about what a fascist Trump was and that he actually wanted to walk up. Like he's like Napoleon with the, you know, with the army behind him and the phalanx of, you know, you know, shamans and whatever behind him and like literally try to hang Mike Pence and declare himself emperor. But what we've also learned is that uh, the obsequiousness, the weakness in people, you know, not everybody. There were people who stood up to him, but people when they were confronted with Trump basically saying, here's what I want you to do. They'd go, OK, OK, I'll do it. <laughs> you, know, I'm, you know, like when Mark Meadows was aware of the insurrection, Cassidy Hutchinson's like, yo, do something. And he's like, I don't know what I can do. I don't know what I can do. And then he's like ignoring phone calls from people. It's like, dude, you are the chief of staff to the president. Do something. And that is kind of a consistent theme of this chicken shit Trumpism of like, because Trump is mean, because he bangs the table, all of a sudden catch you up. do it. You do it because he bangs the table. If he banged the table in front of me, I'd be like, I'd laugh in his face. I would say, get the fuck out of here. You're banging a table. I'm not working for you. You fuck. Right. I wouldn't say any of those because he bangs the table and throws ketchup. We're going to go and and do what he says. That's one of the things that this thing has shown. It's the craziest thing that the youngest person possible who is working in this administration is the one that may very well be the person who actually takes Trump down. Cassidy Hutchinson, as we know, she's 25. She's part of Gen Z. And she has more courage than anyone on that staff. And we know what was also happening now. Liz Cheney spelled that out for us during the hearing. Cassidy Hutchinson, along with many other people who are uh, testifying at this committee, have been subject to just rampant witness tampering, like mafioso-style threats that they've been receiving. And that's why we've seen the Cassidy Hutchinson uh, hearing be moved up prior to the, prior to the July 4 holiday. No, I, absolutely, Jordy. I want to read Adam Kinzinger's tweet recently. He said, watching the desperation of Trump world try to discredit the brave Cassidy Hutchinson reminds me of everything Trump does when he is busted and cornered. Also want to take about a major shift in polling across the country. We see this in individual races and we see this at a national level um, because of the Supreme Court's horrific, uh, catastrophic decision overturning Roe v. Wade and Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Um, the polling has shifted dramatically throughout the nation of people saying, no, this is not what we wanted. Right. This may have been your radical extremist agenda to take reproductive choice away from women, you radical right-wing fascists. But Roe v. Wade and Casey created stability within this country and the constitutional right for women to have abortion that you took away has created chaos, has created havoc, and has placed the life of women and childbearing persons in significant uh, peril every single day and treat women and childbearing persons like second-class citizens. And that was the intent. And so I do want to focus this episode, though. I think now is a time to really bring in this interview. We've recorded this interview before the decision, sadly in anticipation of the decision overturning Roe v. Wade. But when you listen to this, bear in mind it was recorded before, uh, but we're going to be bringing in Susie Schuster. And for those who don't know who Susie Schuster is. You got to meet Susie Schuster. You got to meet her <laughs> in the podcast. She's an Emmy Award winning sportscaster. Her work has appeared on ABC Sports, ESPN, Turner Sports, Fox Sports, and HBO. And in addition, she is a staunch advocate, mm-hmm. activist for pro democracy. And so we at Midas Touch, one of the honors that we have through our journey uh, when we started was we get to meet people like Susie Schuster and we get to work with them 
And the fact that we've built such a big platform at Midas Touch for us to be able to work with people like Susie Schuster to help get content videos out there to the public is something that we are so honored to do. And so Susie Schuster, and she'll tell you about it in the interview, approached us with the video GOP Handmaid's Tale, which Mm -hmm. in 2020 had a different name. She thought that we were the right fit to distribute it. And she'll tell you why I don't want to give away the the whole interview. But I want you all, I think this will be a great episode. So you understand kind of the thought process of how that uh, ad that was created in 2020. And many people said about this ad, which portrays a mom taking her daughter across a border, being pulled over by the police and the police uh, taking away the daughter because she's going across the border to seek abortion care in a state that uh, allows abortion care to take place. Everyone was saying, and a lot of people were saying in 2020, you're just trying to scare people. That's not going to happen. Sensationalist. Sensationalist. So no, that's not going to happen. Um, but I want to walk you through the process of how that video was created. And I would say I might as touch, you know, and, and, and kudos to Brett for doing this. I would say somewhere between 85 and 90 percent nuts to bolts we do in-house at Midas Touch. Um, but occasionally we'll be brought an idea, a video, a production where we'll function as the studio to distribute that work. And this is one of them. And we wanted to highlight it. And I think to have the perspective of a woman mm-hmm. like Susie Schuster to do a video like this was critical to its success and really important for us in our creative process and how we think about doing videos like this and distributing videos like this. And so, Jordy, I'll give you uh, the final word here, but uh, I'm excited to bring in the Susie Schuster interview so some people can get a real window into how the process went about and also hear from Susie Schuster how Democrats can fight back with hard-hitting ads like this or just hard-hitting content in perhaps a post-ad world where messaging comes from influencers who uh, are able and thought leaders in a specific space. Ben. I couldn't say it any better than you just put it. So why don't we just take it to the interview? Let's bring in the interview with Susie Schuster. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. We are joined by Susie Schuster. You know her as the Emmy Award winning sportscaster whose works appeared on ABC Sports and ESPN and Turner Sports and Fox Sports and HBO, basically everywhere. She's also the host of Just Getting Started with Susie Schuster, the podcast where each week she sits down with the world's most successful and popular people to hear their personal stories about how they got their start. But did you know that Mm. Susie Schuster also is the producer of one of the most viral Midas Touch ads that we called the GOP Handmaid's Tale after Susie produced it, which depicted a young woman being pulled over by police as she attempted to cross state lines to get an abortion. We originally ran that during the 2020 and unfortunately had to repurpose it and put it out again when the predictions from it came true. But Susie Schuster, welcome to the podcast. Hi, you guys. I'm so excited to be here. I've really wanted to get together with you guys for a while. I feel like we were dancing around each other during 2020 (laughs) with everything that happened when I was working with Lincoln Project. And I really admire what you guys have put together seemingly by yourselves. It's kind of amazing. Like we were a bunch of like, you know, old white rhinos and me hiding in Los Angeles as the crazy Democrat. And you guys were out there just crushing it week after week. It was really fun to watch us build these two things together. You mentioned that ad. That was a huge ad that the director, John Turtletaub, did um, with zero budget in his house. We got um, a couple great actors to come together. He and I put that script together when we shot it. Um, in Malibu in his driveway, believe it or not, um, right off of PCH. And when we shot that ad, it was originally for Lincoln Project. We thought at the time this was so powerful and so crazy. And the guys said, you've gone too far this time, Susie, which is basically a constant refrain. And I called you guys up and I said, what do you guys think? And you guys were willing to go for it. And it paid off in spades. Because you guys broke that one. It got a lot of attention. And now, two years later, here it is again. 
in realism, in, in the moment, reflecting what is happening in this country. So that ad was prescient ahead of its time. And I am so grateful that you guys had the balls to run it. And I think if more people weren't afraid of pushing the cards even further down that deck, that we that's what we need right now is we don't need scare tactics. Back then, they were like, this is too scary. This isn't real. Uh, it's too... Um, it's too delusional. You're, it's too dystopian. It's not. I mean, that we didn't use to see this coming. I, I don't know how people didn't. And so uh, yeah. once again, I'm just so grateful not only to be with you, but that you guys had the cojones to put that out there because you're right. It is indelibly linked with Midas and it should be. You know, and I think maybe the reason is because we didn't come from political backgrounds. And so when we were building this, none of the ideas that I was putting out there, I didn't really feel those ideas are political then or should be political now. They've been politicized. You know, I don't believe 18-year-olds should be walking around with AR-15s without any training, or I don't think they should be walking around in general, but like that doesn't seem like a political concept. When there's a, a global pandemic, um, I think people should probably get vaccines and maybe wear masks and not cough on each other's faces. And similarly, I think a woman should have a right to choose. And when people are threatening the things that are in that video, that they want to arrest women and charge them for murder. Um, and someone shows me a video of what the Republicans are talking about. There was really nothing controversial in it. When you sent it to us and you showed it, I was like, this is what's happened. This is what they're saying. So here's a video of it. And we'd be delighted to to publish it. And that's what that, that was our thinking behind the scene, because I didn't even feel a whiff of controversy behind it when we published it back then. No. And I think your reaction to it showed that you made the right decision, that what it what it did, what it was meant to do. Do. It was meant to make you think in the moment about your life. I mean, that's the style of the ads that I write. Are They're meant to, um, especially when I write to women, they're meant to make you think about what's happening in your body right now and for you to look at your children and realize that your actions have consequences for them. And um, I really like that ad because it's direct, because I hate floral ads. I hate ads that are too over the top or I hate traditional ads. I like ads that are written as mini cinema and things that um, I was taught how to write at Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. I was taught how about a paucity of words and about word choice and how important it was when you're scripting um, to be clear. And I like that one a lot just because there's not a ton of dialogue. It's very simple. Obviously, John Turtletab, who, you know, directed While You Were Sleeping, all the National Treasure movies, the mega, this is a big time, huge Hollywood director. Um, and so he directed it with um, such a beautiful touch and a light touch, but absolutely frightening nonetheless. We actually had two other ads in that series that I don't think even saw the light of day. Maybe one did, maybe you guys, maybe because we had one that we shot about um, a little kid waking up the morning after the election and, and crying because Trump had had one again. It was another, um, it was another dystopian ad. But we, we um, I think we're in a place right now that we're almost post ads. And that's what I'm scratching my head about as we look towards the midterms and as we look towards 2024, because when you guys were churning out your ads and Don Winslow was doing his and Lincoln was at the top of our game, I think that the ads worked. The ads scared people. They poked people, especially Morning in America was a good one, um, where people were really having conversations and we were able to tap into something in the zeitgeist to get people to pay attention to how they were voting. I'm sitting here really spending a lot of time thinking about what the new ad is. I think that, you know, it's incredible. You guys have your following in your podcast and same with Don and still link into that matter. Um, but I think that people have been, have become inured to these ads that we put out. We have to start thinking about what's going to make people vote from the heart at the polls and from the gut and get them there again. I'm not so sure that the ad format will keep working. It's funny that we had such a, a mind meld there. It's not that we've ignored the ad making. You know, we'll still do 
maybe once every two weeks, we'll try to come up with an original content, typical kind of style, Midas ad. But where we've been focusing on is the entire media apparatus that needs to be repaired and trying to chip away at this right-wing monopoly on info and the counter to it, disinfo, that they've been able to control. And so instead of just the traditional ad where we've been focused on are these reaction videos and elevating people who may not look or sound like typical Democrats speaking just from the heart and taking the role of traditional newscaster. So we replace the role of the traditional, you know, uh, you know, I, I won't describe the look, but newscasters have a <laughs> certain type of look. And we replaced that with a guy in Texas named Texas Paul. He's got a cowboy hat. He's a big Texan who speaks from the heart about compassion and decency and why he's a Democrat. Um, and we have a cast of characters like that who are real people who just speak about issues every day with a relentless response to everything that's going on. That's been our response to what you do in a post ad world. Although we have to then convince the democratic establishment and other people, despite the fact that it's working. Like if I showed you our data, you'd go, wait a minute, you're getting more views, more engagement. You got people wearing the shirts, Midas yeah. shirts, this, that, than mainstream media. But the democratic establishment, the, the funder, the people behind it, now we have to get them on board. But that's our response to it. I want to know what's in Jordy's smoothie container. What did you make today, Jordy? Uh, Brett, but uh, nothing. This is just oh, water. Right, this is just, oh, this is just pure, pure H2O. This is pure oh, that's H2O. Pure, okay, that's, yeah. that's where, oh, so this is my own confusion. So that's, I was hoping you had something really good in there. No, it's nothing fancy. Here's what I, here's what I subsist on on a daily basis. Water and coffee. And probably mm. the occasional cookie or gummy bears. That's my diet. So. You should hold that La Coloma really, really well to the camera and see if they send you some. Yeah, well, they're not paying me. Once they start paying me, I will start advertising. <laughs> coffee. Who cares about the payment? Just get the free coffee. Yeah. Susie, Brett will knock out Brett. nine reaction videos a day. Um, uh, one, sometimes two full podcasts in a day when he edits these things, which is like, in terms of like an, the editor and the amount of work that is, it's like F15, Beethoven, whatever you <laughs> want to, it's, it's absurd, the output there. And this is, like, we don't have a team. It's Brett, me, Jordy. We have right. some, a, a consultant here or there who helps if we have to buy space on TV or thing, but that's the team. It's not a big team. Right. That's impressive. I, I mean, I, um, I, all I have to do is sit my ass in front of the camera. I've got a producer, a great producer and a great audio engineer. And I'm lucky. I just have to, well, I usually screw up. They're usually telling me that I didn't put the microphone on higher. It's like typical talent where you seem like you don't know what you're doing. Even though I was, I, I did every job in television for <laughs> the years, no excuse. Like I had to do those crap jobs, you know, where you're getting somebody, you've got an Ivy League degree and you're getting someone's coffee or getting their glasses fixed. And then when I went to ESPN, I was, you know, climbing the stacks for tapes for Sports Center, trying to get an, you know, a stupid 45 second highlight done on time. So I, I shouldn't have had to do all this stuff, but I don't. So I am, um, I'm in awe that you actually go through this and, and do all the editing. And thank God you do. So you can erase things for when people make idiot mistakes like me. And <laughs> And Susie, I mean, you know, the process when, it, you know, with with film development and television development, how much of a slog that is. Right. It's it's very difficult to actually get stuff done in that sort of structure. So I think part of our secret is our structure is we do things that we want to do and we release them and we well, move on also, to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. Also, and, and by the way, you know what the best um, antidote is for um, when, when you don't like what you're doing is to do it yourself. I mean, I, that's, that's always been my problem in life is that I know how to do everyone else's job. It's like the old joke in um, broadcast news. When remember Holly Hunter was in broadcast news. She was the producer who uh, one of the, the head of the network says, what's it like being the smartest person in the room all the time? She's like, it's terrible. And I'm like, I get you. I hear you. I mean, I so understand what you're saying. So I think the fact that you do everything yourself is probably why your quality is still high. It's when you start farming it out that you get worried about your quality, right? hundred percent. I couldn't agree. So let's talk about, so, so post ads though, you know, we see things like Yavaldi, um, uh, free too frequently. I mean, once is horrific. The fact mm -hmm. that you have Yavaldi and then you hear Tulsa and then after Tulsa, 
You know, you, you can't keep up with the mass shootings. It's overwhelming. And then you're gaslit by Republicans who talk about doors and it's weed and it's pornography. And they have a relentless machine that pushes that out there. And then people who you communicate with, who you think are fairly level-headed, normal people start saying shit like that and start saying, oh, well, he's on the psychotropics. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? What do we do? What do we do? What One, we should be doing something, but what do you think we do? You know, in addition to, okay, an ad, we said we were doing these reaction videos. Where do we go? Because doing nothing's not an option. You know, I've been in talks with a couple senators. I've been working in the gun violence prevention arena for since since the day after Sandy Hook, because as the mother of a young kid dropping off at preschool the day after Sandy Hook, I froze in the driveway and I couldn't leave my kid at school. And I got involved back then um, hosting salons for all the different gun violence prevention groups. And that's the problem. There's all these different groups. There's Brady, there's Everytown, there's Giffords, and I'm very close with Gabby, but uh you know, there's one NRA. And so they've been able very succinctly and easily to be able to create their own narrative, as opposed to all these different gun groups who are all jockeying for position and power and celebrity, because they all want to be the reason why the gun violence prevention uh, movement succeeds. And until they all come together and start working together as one voice, I think that there will be no forward momentum. Chris Murphy, the senator from Connecticut, has been working for years to unify these different gun violence prevention groups. And the last time I was in DC before COVID, he and I had talked about having a summit and then COVID hits. And then if you guys remember only too well, nobody cared about guns during COVID because no one was going anywhere. So all the momentum that was taken by HR8, I was in DC lobbying for HR8 right when it was passed. It was an exciting time. We're high-fiving. We're thinking this is great. We're on our way. And then COVID hits and then guns weren't part of the equation because people weren't leaving their house. That's not realistic either. I mean, the fact of the matter is the perversion of the Second Amendment has been recorded ad nauseum, right? Ted Cruz is, what a total joke, what a total embarrassment he is talking about doors, talking about blaming this teacher. What if she left the stone in the door? What have you? This poor teacher saw a guy crash his car, went to go help him because that's what teachers do, and then realized he had a gun and went running. What teacher, arming teachers? Why should a teacher, my, my in-laws are retired Staten Island school teachers. Let me tell you something. You don't want to see guns in these Jews' hands. It would not be pretty. I don't care how much training that they would possibly have. They can't fire a gun. I want these, I want these kids taught, not protected with a rifle or a, or a gun. And, and blaming psychotropics and blaming the lack of fathers, I mean, you've got to be kidding me when you're telling kids if if a kid needs to wait till 21 to drink, if a kid needs to have passed every single test in the world to drive a car. I don't understand how they're giving these weapons of mass destruction, these weapons of war to 18 year olds. I don't think that we can underestimate the control that the government would have had Trump gotten a second term. I think that's the truth. And that's what's so scary is I really don't think that. I, I don't think it's hyperbole. No, I think that we were about to enter um, one of the most frightening times in the in the history of our country and maybe in the world, because I really I think there was a, a, a real fear that those of us who were so outspoken could have been carted off. I don't yes. think that's hyperbole. Back to the gun thing, if you don't mind indulging Please. me. Clearly, I care a lot about this. Obviously, it was President Biden when he was a senator who ushered in the era of the assault weapons ban. I remember when it lapsed, I thought to myself, how the hell did that happen? And, you know, it made me um, in it made me depressed about the state of the country when that lapsed anyway, because I thought, well, after why, why on earth would they let a bill that was successful lapse? But you look at you, you look at the lack of argument that these Republicans have on this. And, 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 and you're right, the constant blaming of everything but the actual gun. If you talk to Senator Kelly from Arizona, he's a gun carrying, you know, he, 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 he carries, he shoots, he safely puts his gun away in a locked box. 
he doesn't need to have an assault weapon. Um, you know, I remember who was it? The senator from Louisiana talking about feral pigs and you had to, you know, shoot off feral pigs. You can use a rifle for that. I'm all for a rifle. It's just that a semi-automatic weapon is a weapon of mass destruction. It's a weapon of war. And I, I just feel that um, when Ted Cruz opens his mouth about the doors, the fathers, the what have you, I think sadly it's going to take one of the Republicans' family members to be in jeopardy for them to possibly come around. I was speaking to somebody this morning in Italy and they were asking me, because you know I, I have a lot of friends who live out of the country and they, they just don't get it. They don't understand why anyone would need an Uzi. Yeah. Why, why does somebody need to have a, a weapon that even if you're in the army, those weapons are locked up. You don't walk around carrying your AR-15. You don't w- walk around a base carrying an assault weapon. So then why would we allow it to be some kid who on his 18th birthday gets that much money? Why should that child, that child be allowed to go buy a gun that a member of the army is not allowed to carry unless they are physically in the midst of battle or training? And before they could get their hands on it, as you just were saying, they need to be trained in a specific way. That training needs to be renewed every single year. They have to go through training in order to keep that weapon. And I think one of the analogies that has actually stuck with me is that if you had a group of kids on a playground uh, and one of them had a stick and was hitting the other kids with the stick, yes, you would say there's something wrong with that kid, but your solution wouldn't be let's give all the other kids sticks. You would take the stick away from that kid. Like, and, but what the Republicans want to do is they want to give sticks to everybody and just have it be a free-for-all where everybody is just bashing each other in the head with, with sticks. And it becomes a much more dangerous situation. This is what I found as a leitmotif in politics over the last three years. Democrats don't take messaging by the horns, right? They don't, they let the Republicans run the narrative of messaging. The fact of the matter is Second Amendment has become a freedom issue, right? I should have the right to bear arms. I should have the right to protect myself. I should have the right to live the way I want to live. What about my rights? What about my rights to live successfully and freely and without disease and without having somebody coughing in my face if they're sick? Or what about my right to send my kids to school without sheer fear that they could get shot up in their classroom? See, the Second Amendment needs to be flipped, quite honestly. This is, again, what we talk about narrative where the Democrats routinely fail to seize the narrative. And like, by the way, if they do lose in 2022 or 2024, look in the mirror. Same thing I'd say to my 13 year old. You got to look in the mirror and hey, say, what did I do wrong? What's my personal accountability? They should seize the narrative. Ted Cruz, I should have the right to have the door to my school open. I should have the right to protect other kids in the class from an easily preventable, contagious virus. What about my rights? If you flip the right to live in this country as a free citizen on its head, it's the exact same thing. So basically what I would do is fight fire with fire. I'd shove it right back in their faces and say, these are my inalienable rights. And you're preventing them by allowing assault weapons. And that's what he does is Ted Cruz basically allows assault weapons to proliferate in this country. What are there, like 20 million assault weapons? A friend of mine came up with a concept. She said, well, I have a great idea. If, if Ukraine needs all of these weapons and we need to get them off the street, let's offer to buy them back at twice the value. Get those weapons, send them to Ukraine. They need them. We don't need them. If you're going to go hunting and you need an assault weapons ban, you're a shitty shot. You're a shitty shot. Go take some lessons. Hunting supposedly a sport. No, I'm sorry, but it's a sport. I'm not sure what's so sporty about killing an animal. And I'm sure that every hunter is like, you moron. It's a sport. It's great. Well, well I don't understand. And I'm, I can take, I can take the blows, but uh, I mean, if you really need an assault ban to kill a deer that you can't eat now because it's got a mil- it's exploded. I learned how to say exploded in Italian this morning because I was so annoyed um, trying to explain to somebody in Italy about, um, I'm like, how do you say exploded into a million pieces because some more had to shoot it with an AR-15? I'm like, okay, now I know how to say that. But think about it. I mean, how does Ted Cruz have a foot to stand on? 
And to that point, they are all their so-called solutions, which aren't good faith solutions at all. It's all like you said, we should be framing it as they are trying to restrict your freedoms further. They want to prioritize guns over your own freedom. They want to turn that supermarket into like an airport where you have to go through security and check your bags and be followed by police when you enter. They want hospitals to be the same way because the logical end of all their suggestions are, what do you do? Okay, there's a shooting in the Tulsa hospital. Okay, your plan for schools was the doors, arm the teachers. Are you going to have fewer hospital doors? Are you going to arm the nurses? Are you going to teach the patients self-defense classes as they're being admitted into the hospital? The plan makes no sense. It just it sounds dumb because it is dumb and it is bad faith. And the end game of it is to basically turn America into a police state where you're being followed at every point because we have all these weapons of war on the street. And the only way for you to be safe is for you to be under surveillance 24-7. You'd have to check a bag everywhere you go, be followed around, et cetera. I mean, that's the solution. Brett, it's antithetical because it's exactly what they say they don't want. They say they want an open state. They want um, your rights and your freedoms to do what you want to do. But their actions make us more unsafe. Their actions make us turn to a police state. And so once again, Mm. like here we are sitting here, the three of us, and clearly we're a bunch of geniuses and we're sitting here. We figured out the right narrative for the DNC, even though they can't figure it out for themselves because they won't take meetings because, God, they're just painful to deal with. So. Here we are, three genius sitting here. We've now figured out how to get this message out, which is if you want to live in a free world and in a free society, simply by removing the threat of assault weapons, which no one needs, keep your Glocks, keep your MIGs, your Sig Sours, whatever the hell they're called, keep your shotguns, keep your rifles. I'm all for the Second Amendment, took an hour to reload a musket, but I mean, I'm all for the right to bear arms. I don't send my kids to a play date without asking, is there a gun in the house and is it safely put away? Because, you know, we live in L.A. There's a lot of people of, you know, uh, different types of people. And you find out a lot more people have weapons in their home than you expect. But you have to know that you have to protect your kids. Right. I mean, I am not going to send my kid to a house that's got an assault weapon. That's for sure. And if I am sending to my house to a house that has guns. I always say, please keep it in a locked place because I just wouldn't want to. My kids are older now. They're, they're not little, little, because it's the little littles that get into the guns, right. And then hurt themselves or hurt others around them. I just think it's incredible that how many kids get massacred over the last 10 years. Of course, you know, we, we care about, we don't care about them anymore when they come out. We care about them a lot when they're still inside the mother. But when these kids come out and are massacred, these little kids who reach into their grandmother's bag from the back seat and they shoot the grandmother, they reach into the, you know, they, they find their dad's gun and they shoot their sibling. Guns kill. Guns hurt. Guns maim. You need it for protection. Be a grown up. Put it away. Keep it somewhere safe. You need to carry your gun into Starbucks. Aren't you a big man? I mean, like, that's the <laughs> lamest thing about Texas and some, and some of these states that have open carry. Does it make you feel like more of a man because you got a gun on your hip? And I know a lot of women carry that. They carry those cute little pistols in their pocketbooks. And I just don't get it. I just um, I, I do appreciate wanting to protect one's home. I am all for the opportunity in this country to do as one wishes to do in terms of the Second Amendment. You have the right to carry a gun. I get it. But the continual perversion, that's what makes me mad about, you know, uh, and I keep harping on Ted Cruz just because this whole idea of him not being Ivy League educated, him not being an elite. Because he's the worst. The worst. And Josh Hawley is right next to him. This whole idea of like, you people uh, don't understand how we have to protect ourselves. Like, listen, you loser. I mean, nobody liked you at Yale. Nobody likes you now. But this whole idea of like how I'm one of you, you've got to be kidding me. This whole like. So, the, so again, I then you start thinking about the messaging, right? It ties in. One of the ads I did that was my favorite ad was, I don't know if you guys remember it or not, but the, um, the 1-800-Cancun trip where we did a fake ad calling at him of his hypocrisy for going to Cancun when everyone else was freezing. And I think I had lines, something like, you know, um, let him eat, let him eat tortillas or something like that. Like, you know, with the Marie Antoinette, let, let them eat pastel or I don't know what it was, but how he's been able to keep on the charade 
as long as he has is beyond me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm watching the Beto race with a lot of interest because now that he's neck, neck and neck with Abbott, I just wonder if Uvalde has um, pressed enough Texans into awareness. But my fear is, uh, I was talking to somebody in Amarillo the other day, the one liberal in Amarillo, and she was saying she doesn't even ask anybody or talk to anybody about politics because she's continually disappointed because the answer she gets from women and men alike is, well, you know, when the government comes to take your guns away, I just thought to myself, the government can't even do our taxes on time. How do they have anybody <laughs> to come and take your guns away? Right. It's a lot of people. They've you been know? saying that line for decades and decades oh. and decades. And guess what? It hasn't happened. And gun sales have only increased and guns have proliferated more than ever. I think another important freedom issue, and I think I would frame it as an issue about freedom that you hit on, and it comes full circle to the ad that you produced, is the Roe v. Wade issue. So what do you think is the right way to message the overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision. Yeah, so um, that one is really tough. And that's where, again, I will put all of my messaging efforts towards women of childbearing age and slightly older and, and, and appeal to moms because I think that any mom's, any mom's worst fear is a daughter either being abused or raped or even like in our ad, just having made a mistake. And right. um, I, I, I go back again to this idea of this is all control, right? This isn't about a baby. This isn't about a fetus. And it might be about Jesus or religion or what have you, but it's not about religion for these senators. It's about control. And it's about control of a woman's right to choose. It's about control. It's not about a baby. Again, I keep trying to hammer that in. And I, I do appreciate that there are, those in the religious right who would beg to differ. But for the most part, this is about solely control. And it's no different than the Catholic church wanting to control the narrative um, since the dawn of time, what have you. This is all about controlling women's rights. Um, so I don't know if you recall the ad, the girl in the mirror ad that I did for Lincoln, um, which was an ad really imploring women to look at Trump and to think about their children's, their girl's future with him as president and about the example that he was setting as girls watch a man. I, I just pulled it up. I remember this one. This one was unbelievably good. This one was fantastic. Thank you. And I, I have been playing in my head of how to approach the row issue to women who might think differently. Um, that this ad in particular resonated with female voters in Georgia, which, you know, obviously tends to be a red state. So we knew that we hit, we hit a nerve. And I think that we have to do the same thing. I, I think yelling and screaming doesn't work. Getting quiet is far more effective. Um, I am. So um, I've seen a lot of very redundant ads when it comes to Roe Wade, but I think it had this ad that I'm working on has to, it's, it's quiet. It's sad. It's haunting. And I'm hoping that it will make women look at their own children differently. I think, you know, you think about Roe Wade and you think about um, uh, obviously women who are old enough to have to have sexual relationship. But when you look at little girls and you look at little boys and you look at these kids who are so full of potential who aren't even close to being there yet. And you just have think about the effect that Roe Wade and this decision has on their futures. That's where I'm heading. That's the direction I'm heading in. Yeah. Um, there's nothing quite there is. And, and I have three kids. I don't know if you guys have kids or not, but um, there is nothing quite as dangerous as an, as a, as a, as a mama bear. And when your child's future is in danger or when your child is threatened in any way, shape or form, and that's exactly what this is for Roe Wade. Um, I think that we can, if we, if we do this effectively and quietly and methodically, I think we can turn, we can change a lot of minds. We're not going to change the senator's minds. It's right. all about money. I mean, right? I mean, isn't that what this country's become? It's become a, a vast money suck. Yeah. If your goal is to convince Ted Cruz of something, uh, you are you have a lost cause. What, what I'm curious about is I think one of the benefits that you have, one of the luxuries that you have, and we do also, is we're not like politicians where we're just talking to political people all day. Yeah. We are talking to real people. 
you have, you know, the parents of your kids' friends, you have other things that you do out. You're, you don't even, politics isn't even the driving force behind your career, which is nice. So what are people like that? Like what, what, how do those conversations go? Do you think the average person who isn't doom scrolling Twitter, who isn't watching cable news all day, do you think they get what's going on? Are they talking about any of this stuff and what seems to be resonating? What's important with them? How do we get through to that person? No, I mean, sadly, the truth is that those of us in Southern California, New York, Chicago, um, we're, we're tapped in all the time. I will say that the um, the perk of traveling for ABC Sports for as long as I did was I did the Big Ten, Big 12 package a lot. So I spent a lot of time in the Midwest and um, and the nicest people on the planet and most generous and, and really had a great experience. But I think that we are in a very, we have to recognize those of us in the, in the coastal cities that our politics doesn't translate and that our interests don't always translate. I think that sadly, the best hope the Democrats have is to um, pivot away from things like Roe as much as possible. And I think that, I think that the female voters will pivot towards Roe, but most voters who aren't scrolling, as you say, doomsday scrolling through Twitter and what have you, um, the message is more on inflation and national security. I mean, that's what's so funny is that's what I'm hearing anyway from my friends in power in D.C., but that's also being realistic about why those in the Midwest and the South despise coastal cities because they think that we're trying to control the narrative of the country. So now we have to sit here and think, what's our lowest common denominator? And, it, and it's inflation and it's national security. Um, everyone's COVID tired, right? I don't know about you guys. I mean, I'm like one of those moron mask wearers and I'm following all the rules. And I took my kid to Baltimore last week and we took the Acela from New York to Baltimore. We were the only two people on the train wearing masks. Flying back to LA, we were the only two people wearing masks. It was crazy. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, uh, anybody worried about right. work for a week? Clearly not. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we, our country's too big. Our interests are too vast and too disparate. That's the issue. The founding fathers never thought they'd have a country as big as it is. They thought they were going to have a handful of colonies, right? They had no idea that we would push and that the gold rush would take people west, that we would defeat Mexico in different areas, that we would conquer all this vast territory. We are a country of opposite minds. And I think that it, that's why it's so hard for this huge Democratic Party to survive. Mm-hmm. I wished a third party had come out of this. I was really hopeful that, that we might have some uh, that take, take the craziness elsewhere. Maybe we could have something in the center moderates. I mean, I'm a moderate. I am not far left. I'm actually a moderate. But I believe in, you know, I, I, my whole life revolves around a woman's right to choose and not wanting my kids shut up in school. I think that's not asking for too much. Do you think so? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the Patriots will, you know, getting a better quarterback. I mean, Mac Jones is fun, <laughs> you know, and like, you know, I like the Patriots to win. I want the Celtics to win, even though I do love Steve Kerr more than life itself. <laughs> I so appreciate having a coach who's so outspoken. So that's great. Okay, maybe I want the Warriors to win, but my 11-year-old is a Celtics diehard. So that's tough. So I'm not asking for a lot. I'm asking for um, the right to choose, um, not having my kids shut up in school, and maybe the Celtics to win in five. Is that wrong? Well, what's wrong is that the at least the first two, you'll have a lot of sports fans who may get upset about the New England and the Boston Celtics, but <laughs> it's a whole nother conversation for perhaps your show. If we're ever a guest there, we could go, we, we could go into that, but these aren't, you know, going back full circle, these are not, and these were the only reason I became involved in this political world is when those issues became so politicized. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm watching TV. I'm sitting there quarantined with COVID. I'm seeing Trump talking about injecting people with bleach and all and all of this crazy stuff, you know, and then I'm looking at the issues and I'm and I'm thinking, you know, about, uh, you know, the supporting 18 year olds with AR-15s. And I'm thinking, wait, this is not like a Democrat Republican issue. This isn't like a 
This is what's normal. And this is some real disturbing shit issue. And then people are like, you guys are these radical, you know, like lefties. I'm like, there's like nothing radical. I don't think there's any position that I have that's a radical lefty position. That's the wildest part about it, that we're framed as such a thing that it's like, that's why we don't even say progressive so much anymore, because it has a connotation versus. Oh, that's the key versus, word. You can't say progressive. Uh-uh. You know, versus, you know, at, at, the, at the end of the day, my view was pro-democracy. We support our democracy. And my views are very, I thought, kind of common sense shit. Well, how many times did you think, well, that'll be the, the nail in Trump's coffin? He just said everybody should drink bleach. But then people start buying bleach to drink it. And you're thinking to yourself, what's wrong with the state of our union? Is it that we're not educating people? Is it economic disparity? And why the hell do people think drinking bleach is a good idea? Oh, because our president said it. But this is my whole mantra in life. And this goes to what I say to my 13-year-old every day, which is personal accountability. I don't want to hear from Dr. Burks later saying, I sat there and I shook my head, but she stood there and defended it and took it. The balls of that Russian newscaster or the producer who came from behind and held up the what's happening in this country is wrong. We don't have enough of that here. It's what you guys are doing every day. You guys are those outliers. You guys are those upstanders holding up that sign saying what you're doing here is wrong. The sheer fear is why don't more people see it that way, right? That's mm. the fear and that's the underlying um energy behind everything that the three of us do, which is we can, we can write these ads. We can put out these viral videos. We can talk in a podcast, but our country is so big that if there are enough people that believe that drinking bleach might keep them from getting COVID, it's kind of, uh, I mean, is there any other way to say, but like we're fucked. And, and it's just a question of hoping that right before these elections, that the cards fall as they should. I mean, let's face it. We all still are wondering why Comey had to come out with the Hillary stuff right before the election. And he basically killed her presidency. Correct. I mean, she probably would have won the election. That's in the, that's in the, in the wake of Pussygate and the whole thing. I mean, in, you know, it, it, life is a series of chances, right? I mean, isn't that right? I mean, we're, we're basically folly to luck for most of the time. Here's what I think it comes down to. You know, and I think you said it, you know, and, and this is how it's, it is. Personal accountability and freedom. Personal accountability and freedom. How many times, though, have you heard a Democratic politician, not on this show, you know, just speak about personal accountability and freedom? Rarely, if ever. And how many times do you hear Republicans talk about personal accountability and freedom all the fucking time, every single day, all over again, while the actual ideas that they're putting out are completely antithetical to personal accountability and freedom and the Democratic ideas are. But what you just said is exactly right. They have one narrative, one unified narrative. And they hammer it down our throats every day, even if they're antithetical to the truth. They have one narrative and one narrative is effective. I have the right to live freely. I, my kids have the right to go to school without fear of being shut up. What about that liberty? What about mm -hmm. that essential inalienable right? So you're right. Look, if I were to go into politics and I just spent time with a whole bunch of House members in D.C. a couple of weeks ago. And I told them this and they listened with rapt attention. They're nodding and, and we're sitting there taking it all in. You're absolutely right. This is so great. And then crickets and none of them are following. I gave them a roadmap and I gave them some strategy. Crickets because they don't have central leadership. I mean, I don't think Sean Patrick McCarthy is doing a bang up job of leading the D trip. I think that, um, there, we have, sadly, incredibly effective Republican leaders in terms of leadership and following the line. These senators get in line behind Mitch McConnell. They're not getting in line behind Schumer. And I appreciate what he's doing. Um, I, will, I think we need some fresh blood in leadership. I like what Mark Kelly is doing a lot. I, I, I look at him as potential leadership and as somebody who can unify both sides. I mean, talk about a moderate and talk about somebody who 
Um, I mean, he's more masculine than a room full of men combined. I mean, the guy's been to space a bunch of times. He's a fighter pilot. I mean, I, I, I want to see him step up and, and take a leadership role. But until we can unify people behind one message, one mandate, we're just going to keep playing defense. You know, I, I keep going to sports stuff and I, I apologize guys, but I mean, I've been, I've been in sports since I was 21 years old. No, please. It is, you know, the whole idea of defense winning championships, bullshit. If you don't score, you're not going to win. So Democrats just, they sit back and they return serve and they return serve. Oh, another sport metaphor. This is so humility. It's, this is just awful, but they just sit there and return serve, return serve. You got to ace once in a while. Right. And that's what the Republicans do because they have one narrative. How did you guys get started? Like, let's turn this into my podcast. So like, welcome to this edition of just getting started. <laughs> I guess this week are them. The, the, the Midas Spectacular Brothers. And like, how did you guys get started? Like, how did you guys find yourself into this arena? Our backgrounds are, you know, different and unique, but not political. So my background was a civil rights lawyer, went to Georgetown Law, um, helped out a lot of families who lost loved ones to police brutality. So did a lot of cases out in Bakersfield and Fresno, 2014, 2015. At that time, they had the highest police shooting deaths per capita. I linked up with Kaepernick in 2016, 2017, um, became his business partner, worked on all of his related endeavors and still do to this day. Um, that's where I was in 2020, um, but not really in a political, but helping people with platforms behind the scenes. Uh, Brett, I'll let you, t- you tell your, your part, Brett, so I don't cannibalize it. Yeah, sure. I was working in uh, film and TV. I had worked for the Ellen DeGeneres show for over five years. I was editing their uh, their digital content. I, w- I ran the post-production for their digital network, which had grown rapidly. When I started there, we had, I was like the night editor who worked until 2 or 3 a.m., um, cutting videos. And by the time I left, I was leading the department of post-production of all the digital stuff that those five people who I started with turned into a department of probably near 80 people. Um, wow. So I was very, I became very good at turning around kind of high quality, short form content uh, on a daily basis, often multiple times a day with strict deadlines and high pressure situations, um, which is probably the best possible training ever for Midas Touch, even though that content could not be more different than the political content that we're working on here. Um, And then I worked in film and TV with Ice Cube's production company. Uh, I was a creative executive at his TV and film production company, and I was working in sports, actually, uh, for the big three, a a traveling basketball league, running their digital content as as well and, and putting together the digital tape packages that we would do and clip highlights and things like that. And like Ben said, like we were all just so as brother, and then we have our younger brother, George, who's not here right now. Jordy was a marketing executive in in New York. And so we basically put our brains together one day and we're like, we got to do something like, like it's too chaotic out there. It's too scary out there. So what can we do? And at that point I was like, brothers, instead of us complaining every day to each other in these iMessage chats, uh, if I made a website for us, would you guys be committed to publishing articles, making content, doing whatever we can to at least get our voices out there. And the brother said, yes, I believe it was actually Jordy who came up with the name Midas Touch, which is based on uh, actually both of our parents' uh, last names, uh, kind of a meld of, of those things together. And, uh, and we started and we hit the ground running and then we were just relentless with it. And then we started making these videos and one video went viral, which led to the next video going viral and the next video going viral. And we never focus group things. We never decided, well, let's run it by, you know, this party leader and this expert and see, get their thoughts. And then let's wait two months and then we'll put it out after we test this out and make sure that it works for all these people and that it's in line with it. No, we just, we did what we were passionate about. We did everything based on our feelings about what was going on in, in, at that time in history. And we just hit the ground running and the thing really grew organically very quickly. And we, I mean, I didn't stop working for years and years straight. Like since then, I would say even in the weekends and times that I take off now, I'm still always working. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just important for us to always have this always on sort of attitude because if we're not on, I'm not confident of the infrastructure out there, the other infrastructure out there to take the reins and appropriately be staying on top of all the issues. But we there's hope- two there's two pieces I would just add to Brett. We started it just for context during the pandemic in March when Trump started giving all of those press conferences. That's when yeah. that took place. And even though we didn't really like focus group things, everything was based on 
kind of taking in as much information as we could and speaking to different groups and people all over the country to try to just see what would work and what would hit and what people didn't like. And that's kind of constantly the obsessiveness that we're after today is that is that kind of curiosity. That's fascinating. What's your favorite retweet? Who is the who is the person that retweeted your content when you guys were in the height of 2020 that you looked at each other and high five and you're like, I know that we made it now. I'll tell you the person for me. I don't know if it'd be the same for Ben, but growing up, Judd Apatow, always my favorite director, writer, comedian. Oh, like I love every Judd Apatow movie. He was a hero of mine. I think on my application to USC film school, I think when it said like, who is somebody who you look up to? I wrote Judd Apatow and wrote a whole essay about why Judd Apatow was so meaningful to me. And Judd became a fan of ours pretty early on and started retweeting us and supporting us and stuff like that. And so for me, seeing like one of my idols out there supporting us and retweeting us and saying, Hey, you guys did a good job getting on a phone call with us, uh, donating a little bit to us like that to me was like one of the most affirming and, and coolest experiences at the beginning of this. Yeah. And then the Colbert retweet was cool, but then we ended up working with a lot of people. Like we did videos with Bette Midler videos with Barbara Streisand videos with Stevie wonder uh, videos with nine inch nails. And so that was cool being able to have this Midas brand and then work with, people to kind of channel those messages. And Bette Midler did some incredible videos with us where she would, she would sing. Like we would have Bette Midler singing on Midas videos and we would be in the editing studio, the virtual editing studio with Bette Midler. I mean, that was pretty cool. She was my next door neighbor for a long time. And she, um, every so often we would hear her singing across the, um, (laughs) across the hedge. And uh, I finally met her a couple of years ago. And she was with some friends of mine and I walked over and I said, I'm the one on the other side of the head. She's like, you're the one with the three kids. I always hear kids playing in the pool. I'm like, I'm sorry, <laughs> interrupting. I'm sorry if we got in the way of your aria. But yeah, I loved, I like her, her political acumen. It's very cool. What's your end game for Midas? Uh, to have a media company that would rival and surpass like a Fox News one day. So the goals are felt relatively ambitious and it's not, um, we're not content with where it is now. Um, but the big broader vision is to actually change the way the media is, is consumed to change how media is delivered. And, you know, we've, we've only been around for two years. I mean, that's the, that's kind of the wildest part. And already on the digital side, I would say our engagements equal, if not bigger than a lot of the mainstream stuff. Um, when you're something so sad, guys interrupt. I just got a text. Mom, was there another school shooting? I'm scared. That's what I just got for my 13 year old. Can you believe that? I just wanted to share that with your audience just because if anybody wonders what keeps us up at night and why we work as hard as we do. Yeah. I mean, is that, is that freedom? Is that the America we want? Do you have, do you want to have to worry about going to the grocery store and wondering if you're going to get shot? Do you want to have to worry about going to school and getting shot? Do you have to worry about if you get shot and survive that when you get to the hospital, that someone might shoot up the hospital where you're recovering. I mean, that's the America that we are currently living through. And so, I mean, that's definitely why, you know, this is so near and dear to, to my heart as I know it is to yours. Can you imagine the expectant mothers who are in that hospital or those that are going through cancer treatments that are connected by tubes to machines and they hear that gunfire and they are stuck? I just want to, I'd like to um, ask that of Ted Cruz. I'd like to ask that of Rand Paul of McConnell. Just think about the sheer terror of these women who are about to give birth, about to start their families in that hospital and hearing gunfire in what's supposed to be a safe place. We all freaked out as a nation watching the hospitals in Ukraine being, um, being moved and being, um, gosh, space on the word of what happens when you take people out of somewhere. That's so much displaced. And that works so much for, for a degree, but, um, I, I just, that's what I feel like. And I think you're right. Just this, it goes back to freedom and it goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast, which is seizing the narrative. And if we can just inflate uh, or conflate the narrative and we can just put it on its head. And if we can just convince in your position and my position, these Democrats to listen of what happens when we effectively control the narrative. If our, if the people that we elected would just listen to the people that elected them, then we could actually secure our democracy in a way that we haven't seen in recent years. Couldn't agree more. And we got to talk more offline about what we can do from now until 
uh, November. And then even after that, building, you know, building on this, um, I have, um, so I have notes that I have on the side that sometimes Brett and I share, like if there's a question and I wrote like, she's incredible. She's incredible. She's incredible. Like 20, <laughs> like, like 20, like 20 times and, and highlighting after everything that you said. And I truly mean that it's incredible to have you on here. It's incredible to partner with you on the ad that we did. And I hope to be working with you more on other stuff in, in the future. And Susie Schuster, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, guys. I mean, you guys have my number. Uh, there's no, there's no idea that doesn't have potentiality. I'd love to be able to keep our conversation going. I've so enjoyed getting to know you guys. You guys can drop by the Just Getting Started podcast and take a listen to that too. It's an origin story podcast on Westwood One podcast. And wherever you get your podcast, um, our guest this week is Elizabeth Banks, the actress who just finished uh, directing Cocaine Bear, uh, which is coming out, which is really insane, but it's about how she got started. I love origin stories. I love to know how people got places. Um, and where they came from. We had Dave Mandelon, who created Veep the week before. We had Marshall Falk, the Hall of Fame running back, I think right before that. Um, so we, we, we run the gamut of guests. I just like to think of somebody that I think might be interesting to my followers. Love to have you guys on because I love what you're doing. And I, I'm so grateful that you guys are existing in this space. Thank you so much, Susie Schuster. We will be right back after these messages. And incredible interview with Susie Schuster. I'm really happy we were able to bring that interview to you. Um, again, we had recorded that interview prior to the decision. I think yeah. we all knew the right. She's amazing. She's she's really, really incredible. I I was so bummed I couldn't be there for the interview, especially now watching it again. I mean, she's amazing. Yeah, it was an incredible, incredible interview. So. Um, we'll keep you updated. We will, uh, for those who want to know too, I hope you're all enjoying our new series on the Midas touch podcast, the mighty hosted by Jordy. So the new episodes, uh, for audio listeners, the new episodes of the Midas touch podcast involving the brothers, the marquee Midas touch show, if you will, the brothers <laughs> show new episodes drop 5. AM Eastern on Tuesdays and Fridays. Every other day, we have a new program called The Mighty, and The Mighty features some of our incredible content contributors at Midas Touch. So from Coach D to Texas Paul to Emma Silverman, you name it, we feature their musings, commentary, rants, um, and you can catch that every day that the Brothers podcast is not. And it's snack size too. I think that's an important part to, they're they're usually between 16 and 20 minutes, 10 to 20 minutes. That's long. Sometimes they're seven minutes. Yeah. They're real snack size. And you love, you bury the lead, Ben. I'm everyone listening. I'm hosting the podcast. I actually get to speak. It's, 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 it's a great time. Please come join us because I need that podcast now on on the same Midas Touch YouTube, uh, Midas Touch podcast channel to continue to do just as good of numbers, if not better numbers than the brother podcast. So I could rub it in their faces. For those watching this on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. And for those YouTube listeners, do me a favor, make sure to subscribe as well on the audio channel and go over wherever you get your podcasts on audio, subscribe, leave a five-star review as well for the audio. That's helpful for the algorithm there. It's something we ask that you do and would appreciate it. For those listening on the audio, if you're not subscribed on the audio, come on, just hit the subscribe button. It's super easy. It's easy. And, then, and then go over to the Midas Touch YouTube channel and make sure you are subscribed in, to the Midas Touch YouTube and you are watching the YouTube videos and getting all your Jan 6 coverage from Midas Touch YouTube. Special thanks again to Susie Schuster. Anybody wants to go check out the Midas Touch merch, Go to store.midastouch.com, store.midastouch.com. We'll see you next time on the Midas Touch podcast. See you next time. Shout out to the Midas Mighty.